Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Center for Christian Music Studies at Baylor University. This podcast was recorded at the annual Alleluia Church Music Conference. In this session, entitled Music Ministry Team Building, Dr. Randall Bradley reminds us that involving other leadership is vital to healthy music and worship ministry. How do you attract people to your team? How do you keep them? This session will explore ministry team principles and will offer practical help for building and retaining music ministry team members. To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at baylor.edu slash alleluia. But first of all, uh, why do you need teams of people to help you? And I'd like to say that I think it's important to call, to use the term teams. I have gotten to where the, the word committee just kind of grates a little bit. And I don't know, you know, I think that's just some conditioning, but I like to think of being on a team. And somehow being on a team has a little bit of invigorating kind of uh, possibility for me. But I always think of being a member of a team, but I think of serving on a committee. Committee sort of implies sitting around and talking about it, and team sort of suggests And giving action. input to somebody, yeah. Yes. yeah. But the whole idea of team really is, is important for me. Um, our, at Baylor, we have a very good handbell group, but an excellent group called Baylor Bronze. Carla David, who is uh, one of the ministers of music at First United Methodist in Round Rock, is, comes to Baylor and does our handbell group. But she insists that it be called a handbell team. That we work together, the Baylor Bronze as a team, and that's because of all things, handbell ringing is all about being a part of the team. And I've thought about that quite a bit from her uh, input as well. But first of all, uh, you can't do it all by yourself. You really can't. And I think when we when we think about the ministry that we're part of, as long as we think of doing it all by ourselves, then we're setting very distinct limits on what we can do. And even though some of us can be highly productive and be incredibly effective, we still are setting limits that only are as big as ourselves. And I think that at the end of the day, when we're part of something that's bigger than we are, that's what ultimately can motivate us toward the future. And I like to have that um, idea that something that's bigger than I am, otherwise I, I feel completely responsible, and then I start to feel a little bit uh, claustrophobic and, and turn inward. Uh, others need and want to be involved. I find through the years that, that people will work and be a part of the ministry, music in your church, as long as they're involved. But I learned a long time ago in children's choirs. I went to children's choir workshops early on in my um, career, and they would talk about having workers in the room and having other people to help you. And so I recruited all these people to help, and then I didn't give them anything to do. I did everything. And then pretty soon, they all kind of left. And I had to figure out why are they leaving, but they didn't feel needed, and I didn't use, utilize them, and I didn't teach them how to help me, which would have been helpful. I wanted them to help, but I didn't teach them to help me, so I didn't really build a team. I just had people around. And having people around and actually having them as a, a part of the team is not the same thing. <coughs> So that's an important thing to realize. Uh, there are some tasks in ministry that others can do better. And that's a humbling but important thought to think, that there are some things other people can do better. This Alleluia Conference is a great example of, of that. 
there's a lot of people that work on this conference. And I work hard on this conference, but it's by no means all of me. I've realized that there are some students um, that do some things much, much better than I do. For instance, um, you notice that on these signs, these um, uh, television kind of signs that are around the building that has Alleluia on there and his pictures and all that stuff. I would hate to be in charge of putting together that presentation to then export to Truett to then have them put on those signs. But I can just ask um, somebody else to do it and they seem to just know how to make that work. I have a student that's worked with the Alleluia Conference for a number of years and he can take anything that I give him and make it look better than I can make it look. As a matter of fact, uh, he worked on this handout for me. <laughs> so it looks a lot better than what I gave him. Um, so that kind of thing. It doesn't mean that I couldn't, I could do it, you know, and make it work, but he can do it better and enjoy it even and take some kind of pleasure from it. Um, I think music ministry should be shared. And I think we're at a time in our in the world where people want to be involved meaningfully in all kinds of things. Uh, what kinds of teams do you need in music ministry? And I mentioned a couple, and then we'll, we'll brainstorm for a second. But you need people in charge of all the areas. Like if you have children's choirs, and I hope you do, then you'll need people that work with those. Instrumental, keyboard, administrative functions, youth choir, parent teams. Really, the kinds of music ministry teams that you need is determined by what your music ministry looks like or what you imagine it to look like. Okay. So every church would not need the same kind of teams. And so often we think, well, we have to, you know, we want our teams to look like somebody else's. Well, I think teams are always in flux, and I think that they change along the way. So what might work at one time needs to be reshuffled and reconfigured. A lot of times you take a key player out of a, out of a team and then the whole team has to be reshifted and maybe uh, it has to combine or divide or all kinds of things that would just make the difference in one key leader. So being flexible. And again, I, I used to think of music ministry as always having, I was taught, you know, you have a, a certain, this committee and this committee and they report to each other and all this kind of structure. And I think there are, way, there are things that need to be covered, but, the, but it's fluid, really. Um, leadership and team building has to be a kind of a fluid thing. And often churches get locked into certain structures, and we only work within those structures. It's another thing that I think in the, in the church setting, I don't like for music ministry teams to be like nominating committee responsibilities and the kind of things where the big team over the whole church system nominates this because as long as we call them teams, then they don't get involved in the committee structure and then we can uh, do with them as we see and we can be more flexible and mobile. So the same thing happens in the academic world. You know, if you don't get it in the catalog, what doesn't have to be in the catalog doesn't need to be because then it becomes flexible. Catalogs are not flexible. You, know, you can't even, you don't, can't even take a course title out of the catalog at Baylor. You can, um, you can make it uh, dormant, but you can't even use that same number. It has to sit there for, I don't know how long it would sit there, but you, know, you have to create new numbers and all kinds of things. It's, you know, it's quite a deal. But it's related to somebody's had that course in the past, and somebody's still alive who's had that course, and so that description has to stay active. 
and it has to be the computer. And, you know, so there's systems that you don't want to get your stuff in the middle of that aren't always helpful. Um, every significant area of music ministry should be built around a team of people. So as you think of a specific team, a specific function or music ministry area, then building a group of people around that ministry is helpful. How does that help you as you think about your own uh, involvement in music ministry? Is that what are some areas that maybe need that need to be teams built around in your ministry? I just was curious about the <clears throat> breaking down of like instrumental and keyboard. I mean, we have a we have a praise team. That's one group of instrumentals. We also have from time to time, whenever they try to get together, we have a Philharmonic, which is high school kids that are in the band primarily, but they do a totally different kind of, of music. And then we have the incidental instrumentalists who, when I say, oh, would you play oboe on that piece? Yeah. Would you would you break each of those down, or would you just have an instrumental team? If you're an instrumentalist, you are. I think it depends on how large it gets, mm -hmm. and sort of when the team starts to be too big to function as a single unit. And people, my my rule is kind of when people start to fall off the edges. When I see people kind of falling away, then I realize they're not being nurtured. What happened? I mean, these were in place. I've only been there a couple of years before I got there. And the common link was we had one person who was in the praise team but was not the leader of the praise team, but he was the leader of the Philharmonic. But then he has a day job, you know, and it just got to be. So the Philharmonic just dissolved, and then they reappeared, you know. And, and so I wonder if I would just be separated out or maybe if it would be better <coughs> to have someone in a more administrative capacity doing both. You don't want to have too many teams that you can't watch over them carefully. So I would go for minim minimizing the number of teams, maximizing the number of people that work within those, but minimizing the, the structures so that you don't have so many people to report to. What I found at times is I would have so many people that I needed to check in with that I couldn't cultivate the leadership, which is part of what we'll talk about in a moment. And the, the church I've served for the last several years we had a children's choir coordinator and a group. We had a youth choir coordinator and then a group of people that worked within the youth choir, parents and folks like that. We had um, the instrumental group and the praise team that I coordinated and worked with, but they functioned as a team. And then the adult choir had a team of leaders and kind of functioned as a team. So that's about five. Mm -hmm. And then I would meet with those people. Plus I would meet reg regularly with the... Um, main accompanists with the organist and pianist and then so they they had a part of the leadership team and then kind of did their thing uh, as a part of the other teams so um you know just it really kind of depends but that was a part-time thing um basically a church that had full-time ministry but a part-time responsibility and i was trying to always streamline and simplify how many direct lines of people do you report to you or or do you work with? Because all those people need to be cultivated, as we'll talk about in a moment. What are some desirable team member qualities? And I say here, it depends on the task that needs to be accomplished. I sometimes think we're always looking for generic leaders, and sometimes we don't need generic people. We need people with specific skills, 
And so sometimes I think that we need to think about what is the skill, and a person might not be a great member of lots of teams, but could be a member, a good member of this particular team. But what are general qualities? Let's just kind of highlight some that, that everybody thinks are good team member qualities. Reliability. Flexibility. Absolutely. Flexibility. Yes. Amen. Yeah. The desire to serve. Okay. A willingness to be a part. Yeah. And to have the ability but don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Problem solving skills. Yes. People that can take something and figure it out. You know, I, I say at our house all the time to our kids, you know, now let's think, let's let you think about that for a moment. <laughs> you know, what would you do here? And rather than just using my brain all the time, you know, let's let's let other people use their brains, you know. You're smart too, so problem solving. Willing to learn. Okay. Willing to grow and be coached and, and to move forward. Yeah. I think willing to help other people learn too is an is an important skill. So people are not good sharers of what they know, and that's important for a team. But a commitment to the mission statement of your church, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that they're in concert with what the church's is, goals are. Exactly. Yeah. They really need to buy into what this place is about. Otherwise, we, we have uh, continual conflict. Yeah. Okay, other, other ideas? Within those overall kinds of ideas, then we might need somebody who is highly organized and likes to style music. You know, we might need somebody who uh, is good at, and oftentimes in music, what we need is a, we need a player, we need a skilled person, we need a singer of a certain type, we need a voice type. We need all those things. But we need, so sometimes what we get is a person who can do the music but doesn't have these other qualities. And I think that's where then our coaching and that's where really the team starts to change people and starts to impact. And that's really a lot of what we do in the church is, is help people to, we see potential and we see, well, the music talent, now let's move these other qualities along and let's coach and help. And that's what, that's where the ministry often really happens in music ministry. Uh, it's so often where, where it really happens. Let's talk about choosing team members a little bit. Um, the head of the team should enlist the members. Um, for instance, if you're looking for a um, helper for preschool music activity, well, the person who's in charge of children's choirs needs to enlist the person to help with the preschool. If, they, if you're the one in charge, then you need to enlist the person to help with the preschool group. Not asking the leader of the preschool group to find some people that can help you. Like in our church, my wife has been the director, the leader of the preschool music activity for a number of years. So when there was a vacancy there, the children's choir coordinator really needed to make that ask rather than asking my wife, go find some people to help you, which often happened because the person at the top of that team with the most clout needs to do the ask. A few years ago, a, a woman in our church kind of threw this back at me because we were trying to include some more people on a, on a worship leadership ensemble team. And she was the one who coordinates their schedules and decides which people are going to sing which Sunday. And she assigns eight people to sing every Sunday and, and works on that schedule, coordinates everybody at the end of the month for the next month. 
It's a great gift. And so she was telling me we need some people and she was giving me suggestions. So I said, would you mind contacting them? And she said, well, I think as the leader of this team that it would be a lot better for you to make that ask. And I said, you're right. And I was just being, um, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> but, but she was right. And so every time when I've, attempted, when I've been tempted to give that away, I've remembered, you know, Becky caught me on that one one time and it's probably somebody else will too. But she's right. The, the person at the higher, the higher level perception needs to be the one to make that ask. Oftentimes, and what I realize is that people, sometimes people will say no to one person, but they won't say no to another person. Uh, I'm not an easy person to say no to. I've learned that through the years. So I'm a good person to make an ask because I'm not very easy to say no to. Uh, incidentally, I don't like anybody to say no to me, um, you know, but I, because when I ask you to do something, I've already thought about it a lot, you know, I've already given a lot of thought to that, so I, I haven't just randomly filled a slot, you know, I've really thought, you know, who would be good at this. Um, consider who has the time, the skill, and the desire. That's, those are big qualities to think about. The time, skill, and desire. So we kind of talked about qualities. All of those are important. If you've got the time but not the skill or the desire but not the time, all of those things not lining up, any one of those things not lining up to a, at a low level will really uh, tank your team. Yeah. And you always often have to, you have to think about how much time do I have to invest in this person and in the training of this person. And that will often determine... Um, who you choose for your team. Ask them in person, not by email or by phone. Uh, asking them in person is really, really important. I've gotten to the place where I almost always ask people over coffee in some kind of, meet me at, can you meet me at Starbucks at 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon kind of thing. Um, asking people after church, catching in the mahal and saying, I want to ask you this important thing. People are thinking about lunch. If they have younger children, their children are, you know, Sunday's a horrible time for everybody's children, you know, after church. Um, so catching them is like catching me at these times when, you know, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes to you because I'm not in a thoughtful time. So the way where you ask uh, if you're in a kind of a Starbucks kind of church where people go drink coffee and, you know, that's kind of what they, the way they make decisions, then do that kind of thing. If you're in a rural congregation, you know, you would never ask my parents to go to Starbucks. You know, they don't even <laughs> like Starbucks and there's not one within, you know, 50 miles. But, you know, you'd drop by their house and you'd sit on the front porch and talk to my dad or my mom about something that you felt that they should do. So asking in their, in their space, in a comfortable space. But those meetings are worth it. Even if you have a lot of those kind of meetings, if you're building team members, then it's worth the time you invest because ultimately you're giving a gift to them. I also think of enlisting, and I'll just say that, I always imagine myself, if I'm going to ask Mike to do something, and I did ask Mike to do something recently, I didn't imagine myself dumping on Mike. I imagine myself giving Mike an opportunity which could, could help him also. But it's harder for people to say no to your face than it is. Yeah. Of course, it was an email. Yeah, it was an email. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was an email. Uh, but we're friends. Yeah. 
Uh, and nine miles apart. Yeah, and I wasn't asking him to, you know, to coordinate a major aspect of this conference or anything like that. Uh, well, it could be important, but um, anyway, I've really just learned that the whole email phone thing, tone is always important. Phone is better than email if you're going to choose one or the other. But oftentimes, to call somebody and set up a meeting or email them and then set up a meeting and then have the meeting. But those meetings don't have to last forever. But what happens when you have those meetings is you, get a, you learn a lot more than just, just that. You know, recently had a meeting with a guy who plays percussion at our church, and you know he was kind of concerned about some things and had some things he wanted to talk to me about. But I learned a lot about I learned a lot about how I'm not communicating well with him, and how this team has been together a long time, except for him, and people are talking about things that he doesn't understand, and nobody's taking the time to explain them to him, and he doesn't want to ask and. But he's free to ask me over lunch. So, and I assumed a lot of things. So I, I learned a whole lot. Every time I go into those kind of meetings, I always go away saying, I'm not going to ever do that again. And I'm not going to make those assumptions again. But I invariably do. I just keep on doing it. I carefully discern who should be asked. Um, it's important to really think about who should be asked. And I encourage you to become a person who is resourceful in thinking of people, to get to know people and, and make notations in your mind about people and know the various uh, idiosyncrasies about people so that when somebody asks, you know, who is good for something, you say, well, I remember her saying that she did whatever, you know, 10 years ago in their church back wherever, and so she might like to do that again. Um, I have a lot of examples of that. Um, my wife always asks me, who can we get to be the babysitter? Yeah. And she always makes the contact, thank you, Lord. But I usually can think of the babysitters. You know, I can just think of people that I know that I think, well, you know, that person might really wouldn't mind you know, doing that or something like that because I'm, a, I'm picking up all these clues all the time. So that, that's a real helpful kind of skill. And I don't think it's something you either have or you don't. It's, it's that your antenna is always up to the interesting things about people, so you have ideas about people when you need help. Um, choose the, share the vision of the team when enlisting them. I think it's most important, really, that you say, uh, at this church, when I'm talking to somebody about playing you know, guitar or something, I'll say to them, it's really important that you be a team member. We don't have any primadonnas in this group. Nobody's has a big ego. We don't cater to each other, but we really do believe in serving God in meaningful ways. And I believe if you're part of this team that, that you could really find a great place to, and leading in worship could be something that's really important for you. And you would you would really and you'd really love the people on this team. They're nurturing, they're kind, they're gentle, it'd be, it'd be a community for you. You know, I say all those kinds of things. So I'm sharing the vision of what we expect. I'm saying right up front. This is, this, I'm saying positively, this is what we do. And I'm just saying, these people are all like that, which says, you, if you join this team, then you know, we're going to kind of expect you to be like that too. And sharing that up front really, really helps. Because if you have to go back and say, we're not quite doing that, then it's easy. They, they have these 
tapes playing of he told me this before. You know, and you can say, you know, how I remember when we talked before, you know, I told you about what a great team this is. You know, and um, they're still just like that, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So you can replay that in, in other kinds of ways. Uh, never undersell the responsibility. Uh, good people don't want to do something that anyone can do and takes no special skill. I used to go to people and ask them to do things, and I would say, it's not a big, it's not going to take much work, you know, it's just children's choir. It only meets, you know, hour a week, you know, the materials are all there, all you have to do is just walk in, and they're ready. You know, and I would, I would undersell things in such a huge way, and then people would come back and be overwhelmed. And I realized that when somebody tells me to do something that doesn't take any skill, it's not anything special, then I'm saying, well, well, gosh, well, go get her to do it. You know, mm -hmm. why do you need me to do that? I'm special. Um, you know, we all say that in a, in a sense, and we want to do something that matters. We really want to do something that's important. I also think all things that we do in the church are important. I don't think they're any small tasks. But philosophically, I like to do all the things that we do in church. And there are a lot of times in church where I long to be the person who sets up the tables and chairs. You know, oh, wouldn't it be nice just to set up the tables and chairs and not have to, you know, be the one up front, you know. So I don't mind doing those things. I really don't mind. It's just not my job. It's not what I can do right now. So we have to do the thing that's ours to do at that time. And another time it might be our time to decorate the table instead of, um, you know, playing the program. So we don't undersell anything, but, but don't tell people that it doesn't take any any big deal, because they will oh, they will give that amount of time, or they'll say no, you don't need me to do that. I'll do a lot of things if you ask me in the right way. It's really a, a lot about asking people in the right way. Um, stop if you have questions along the way, I, please. Um, and when we can have some good question time, I think we'll have some time at the end. But if you've got questions along the way, stop. Okay. Keeping everyone playing the same game. Uh, share the team's vision at every gathering. Uh, for example, choir rehearsal, music coordinator meeting, instrumental rehearsal, etc. I think it's really important that every time you meet with a group of people in music ministry, that the vision of what you're about is shared in some way or the other. I was going over this um, this handout the other, a few days ago with a student that has been in our church for a while. And I was saying, you know, Chris, can you think of anything else? What have I left out? You know, help me with this, all that. And I was saying to him, I said, you know, every time in choir, at some point, I'll always say something about we are doing this for worship. I will often, I will create, I will tell a story in some way. Oftentimes I share the vision by telling a story. And this piece was written by someone, or it's written, there's a story behind this piece, or this hymn has a story, or whatever. And then I'll turn that in some way to, that's not unlike us, and what does that have to do with your life? And I might want to say, is, what's a phrase in this um, anthem that just stands out to you? But, you know, a, one, a great text. You know, what's a, a phrase that stands out to you here, and what does that mean to you? Um, and then somebody else states some phrases, and I said, well, how does that apply to your week? What does that have for your life? And so somebody will feedback some things. So what, what's happening there as far as visioning? What's, what's going on in that environment? Am I doing the visioning? Oh, yeah. 
They are. Okay. And that's, a, that's even better. You see, when, when other people interpret the vision, then that's really, that's the next level. You're not always the one hovering with the vision. The vision is coming up from everybody else. And so letting other people express the vision is important. In simple ways, I'll often do this, and I direct the Vader Men's Choir. I often will say, uh, at the beginning of the, every semester, I'll have two or three guys stand and tell why this group is important to them. Every fall, I'll have some guys kind of testify, you know, why is this important to you? I'm, they're, they're interpreting the vision, and they'll say, this group's important to me because this is a safe place. I can come from all of my other classes, and every time when I come in this room, it feels so safe, and it even feels sacred to me. Somebody will say that. One of those guys will say that every single year. They'll say it because they heard somebody else say it the previous year, but they saw it lived out. See, they heard it, and then they experienced it. And then they'll talk about um, that this is a place of community. I've met some of my best friends in this room. You see, they'll go down all these things that are really, really important, and they'll state the vision. And then we take all these different times through the year where we, where we restate the vision of why we're doing what we do. But oftentimes I do that through story. I will oftentimes do it through sharing an experience of what something has meant to me. You know, I was in a very dark time in my life, and um, I sang this text, and it mattered to me. And it really did change the way I was able to perceive that situation. And without saying anything else, what are they saying? Might do that for me too. Sunday when we sing this, might do that for somebody else. See? So the vision is all is staying out there. I learned also from this pastor that I worked with a few years ago. Um, this pastor always opened every meeting which at first I thought was the biggest waste of time in the whole wide world, but with some kind of question. It's always a question about the ministry, and it would take a lot of time. And sometimes it would seem like that was about all we did was philosophize stuff. But what I saw was the way that was changing people. So I eventually adopted that. So I would start every coordinator meeting in our church every month when our all of our music ministry team leadership gets together. I start every meeting with a question. And the question is often, um, what has happened in your area of ministry that has impacted you in an important way in the last month? Uh, what's a story of a God moment for you in the last month? How have you seen God at work in your area of ministry in the last month? Uh, what have you needed personally that ministry, that your area of ministry has helped you? Has, you know, something like this. So I think of all these questions and try not to use the same one. So the people come to the meeting every month saying, I know he's going to ask that question. And, they, and this one woman in our group would say, I've been thinking all afternoon, I wonder what he's going to ask this time. And now he's going to ask some kind of question. All right. What has that question done for her? She's preparing, for <laughs> she's preparing for that meeting. And what is she's doing? She's expecting uh, 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 that she goes through the thing. She's, mm -hmm. Her vision is open and she's looking for these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
she's but everybody's evaluating too. That's right. That's they're right. always evaluating because they right. know they're going to have to. That's right. And what are they looking for? Growth. That's right. They're looking for God. It's always about God, see. And they're looking for God to be alive in that place. Now, in this building, in, in Truett Seminary, they call it theological reflection. Okay? That's called theological reflection, where you are reflecting on what's going around you in terms of God, and you're learning to see God at work in your own world and what you're a part of. So what I'm doing with that is helping them to think, to have theological reflection and to think about God. Because if we don't see God in the ordinary, friends, we're not going to find God. I have come to believe if I don't see God in the real stuff around me, that's where God is. God is right here. God is not in some special long place that I'm going to have to go to. God's right here. So I need to help other people learn to do that. So, I these open-ended questions really help people to create the vision. What happens is, you know, I don't take the whole meeting to do that, but we'll take, you know, we our our group meets at five o'clock on Wednesday. We all have bring dinner or order dinner or something, and it'll be like a sandwich or something. Everybody's sitting around. So while we're eating, we're talking about the question, which is on the printed agenda. I think meetings need printed agendas. And then that way you kind of know when you're done. You don't get around to it all. You have a marker to remember it for next time. But we have all this. So people are sitting around reflecting. And by the time we get to the business and the who's going to sing next month and are you prepared and do you, can you meet these dates and, you know, have you raised money for the choir tour and what about the fundraiser for the whatever and, you know, all the stuff that you do. By the time you get to all that, then we're, you know, we've already told a story about a family that's in crisis and how music helped and how, you know, great stories. So that we're already thinking, we're thinking about mission, and then we put all logistics and administration under mission, which is where I believe it belongs. Okay? So we were just talking uh, earlier that... Um, when I think about this conference every year, I, I like to think about faces of people that are coming. And I like to think about stories of people that have come and said, you know, I think if I hadn't come to that conference, um, I might have had a nervous breakdown last year. And because I came to this conference and you told me that therapy is a good thing for ministers of music, I went and got some help and I survived and I'm a lot healthier this year than I was last year, thanks. Those stories impact me when I'm planning this conference rather than just thinking of a million logistical things, which I also think about. But I try to think of them under the umbrella of ministry. And then that's what keeps me going. And I think that's what will keep you going as well. Um, emphasize the importance of community. Community is a word we need to use all the time, I think. And we need to interpret it continually, that we're part of a, of a community of faith. I've come to believe that we see God um, very, very often, not always, but we see God within a community of faith. And so our faith is very, very communal. And what we do in music ministry really is about living in community. So we use that word a lot. Um, express needs and expectations in clear and measurable terms. When you need something, 
then express that in as clear terms as possible so people don't wonder what are you really thinking. I, I want to be always gracious. Um, I, I want to be a gracious person and I want to be able to say things in kind ways. But when we need someone to do something, it's good to go ahead and state it. Um, for instance, you know, you're checking on the children's music camp. If you, that's something that we have in our church, we have a children's music camp. So you're checking on the progress of that, and you're saying, um, where are we with the publicity for the children's music camp? And the camp is in June, and it's February. But we're, you know, if you don't get the dates out last August, then people plan their vacations, and then they say, I would have come, but I didn't know. You know so what have we done? Well. What can we do right now? Let's see. Uh, can you give me some input? We're going to need to announce that in our newsletter. You know, at least for the next four weeks, we're going to need and, and say what needs to happen there. And you have to be more direct with some people than others. But people need to know. I, I, I don't want you. We need to start getting the word out. Well, how good is that for somebody who isn't is global, a global thinker? We need to do this. We need to do that. Or you say, well, what would you what would you suggest? Which is one of the next things. Let people um, lead people to set their own deadlines and expectations. I try not to set the expectations unless you can't set them yourself. Last week, in working on this conference, I said, you know, fifty times, um, how soon can you have this program to me? When would you? When can you have this to me to prove? Um, what date should I expect this? And a lot of times it arrived at midnight, you know, at 1 a.m. and, you know, all kinds of things. These days, you know, things arrive all the time, you know, in an academic environment, literally all night. Um, my mailbox was full this morning. <laughs> you know, not full, but busy. Um, so things, but, but saying, when can you have this to me? When can we, when can we expect this? I dealt with the program last week. You know, the cover wouldn't print in our copy center here. We had it to them. Friday was a week ago, which seems like a gracious amount of time. It didn't work, and it turned out pink instead of uh, blue. So then I dealt with them for about four days, and they tried their stuff and updated their software and whatever, and still wouldn't work. Then we went to Kinko's. And they tried for 24 hours, and they sent it to Austin, and they sent it to Colleen, and um, you know, it still didn't work. So then I picked it up from Kinko's, and then I went to the printing and procurement office here at Baylor, and then we had to send it out to a printer, a local printer, and it still didn't work quite right, and then I ended up proofing it three times last Thursday. But then the guts of the book was being printed in the copy center, and they were gonna bind it, and they were supposed to have it Thursday morning, so then I had to deal with them, to meet the Friday afternoon deadline. So it was constantly, how soon can you have this to me? You know, what can we do? Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Well, next year we're going to print the cover at the same time we print the brochure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell. Yeah, see, so you think of all these, yeah, you know, we should have done, we should have thought, and then, then instead of the color being similar to the brochure, it would be exactly, which mm -hmm. was our goal, was wow. to have the pieces all combined color-wise and be in the color scheme. But all those things, you know, we're always setting, helping people to set deadlines. If you can set your own deadline, then you feel empowered. If I set the deadline for you, then you feel inhibited. But because we, we all, we all want control. 
deal promptly with team members who are not carrying their weight. If you don't deal promptly with people who aren't carrying their weight, then what happens to the rest of your team? Several things can happen. There's not a one answer. What are some possibilities? Yeah, you have resentment toward the person who isn't doing his or her part. They learn that they don't need to meet with their parents. That's right. That's right. Everybody will be late eventually if you don't. You know, and I will every few weeks have this. You know, it's, thank you so much for being here at eight thirty on Sunday mornings. I can't tell you how grateful I am for the sacrifice that you make, and I know that it enriches your life as well. I don't always own it. I say I won't just own it. Thank you for doing it for me. You see. Because you're not really doing this for me. You're doing this because you need to serve, and you want to serve, and you want to give. Okay? We need to remind people of that. Otherwise, they start to think they're deserving you. And we don't want them to be beholden to us. It's not really about me. But always giving those kinds of things, but I really need you to be here on time. It's not, uh, it's a fair thing. It's a commitment we make to each other. And so thanks for giving your very best efforts for that. You know, you keep kind of giving those motivational speeches all the time about why it's important to do what you're supposed to do. A few years ago, we had a guitar player that would call on Friday afternoon if you're lucky and say, I can't be here on Sunday. Uh, most of the time, he would, call on, he would call or send an email on Saturday night saying, you know, I've got this friend who's a seminary student. I've got this friend who's going to be preaching in wherever, you know, some little town outside Waco, and I think I really need to go hear him preach and be supported. Be like, all right, so what am I supposed to do? So finally, I dealt with that a few times, and finally, I, we didn't have a bunch of backups, and I just said to him, I have to know this. If you're going to play on this team, I'm going to have to know a week in advance. We all have emergencies, but those deal with sickness and illness and crises, and we're really going to have to step up here. So what can you do? Well, I just don't know if I can do this all the time. Well, how often do you think you can play? What kind of schedule can you commit to? Well, I think I could play two Sundays a month. Okay, well, you'll have to let me know ahead which two Sundays, which two Sundays would normally work best for you. Okay. So, you see, you keep funneling those questions, because he's a good guitar player, but he thinks, you know, he's all about hugging people and... You know, <laughs> nurturing and you know loving others, you know, which I, which is great, yeah. but I need him to show up, you see, and so asking those questions to keep funneling that, and then eventually he said, you know, I just don't think I love playing. I just really love playing, but I just can't make that commitment. And I said, not in that conversation, but a while later, and I said, well, that's fine. I understand. I completely understand. And we needed him to make that decision and move on out. Uh, retaining your team. Uh, one of the things that we do to retain is keep rehearsals focused. Uh, when we know where we're going, we know what we're going to have to do, We all of us, then people come because they know you have something planned for them. There are more people in churches that complain about lack of structure in rehearsals than I've never, I mean, I people complain about my structure sometimes. <laughs> But they do it, it's kind of half compliment, half not, you know. I'd rather take that risk than the other. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be so structured that you just regiment people out. But I, that, that almost never happens. 
most people appreciate the structure you provide. I mean, almost everybody does. And I've just learned to think that, you know, he runs a really tight ship as a way of saying, I like you. She was in my choir in, in Oklahoma for a number of years, and a great dear friend of mine. And there's a woman in our choir talked incessantly, I mean, just constantly talked. So one Wednesday night, we had a, a new member who came, and she sat by the talkative woman. And, and I overheard her saying, now, you can talk quite a bit, and he won't really get real upset with you. But when that woman on the front row turns around and glares at you, you better be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was talking about Mrs. Parrish. And uh, it was a great, great story. But people people want to do right. And as long as you're good-hearted about the things you do, they want you to focus them. You know, I want people to expect me to do something. Because when people expect me to do something, then that means that they think I can. You know, and I want to do well. And I want the people that I work with to expect me to do well. Because I need, I need that um, encouragement. It, I, I see it as encouragement, and I think most people do. So, um, focused rehearsals. Uh, keep offering perspective. Why is it we sing? Why do we come to this place every week? What is it that brings you here? Not every, all those questions at once, but every week. What, what is it? Why do we do this? And then somebody says something, but if the same person always answers, then you might offer a different perspective, or you might say, Mike, what do you think about that? So rather than having the same person always chime in, you will be the talkative person. So keep the perspective, 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 perspective. I have guys in the men's choir who always say, one of the things you helped me learn to do is keep perspective. Because I'll talk to them about midterm and being overwhelmed and how that feels and how if you compress through midterm, then you'll be so glad later, and ultimately you'll you'll stay at Baylor, and you'll be happy, and your parents are happy, and life is better, and you know all this is helping them to realize that what we do in one moment is about a big, huge thing. All of us want to be involved in something bigger than ourselves. I've already said that today. We long to be involved in something bigger than ourselves, and we have to help. It is bigger than ourselves, but sometimes we can't see far enough to realize it. Uh, remember important moments uh, when you can remember birthdays and things like that. I'm not good at all of those things, but you know, set timers on your computer for for people's birthdays and important things, and remember those. And it really does make a difference. I try to do something for all leadership team people at Christmas. I spend a lot of money for Christmas and buying gifts and things like that uh, because I think it's important and it's an investment in the ministry. So I, I typically do things at certain times of the year. Um, express gratitude often and give honest feedback. Uh, people want honest feedback. They don't want just 
great, thank you, everything, you're amazing, you know, that kind of thing. They would rather have a meaningful conversation with you about what just happened. But sometimes after church on Sunday is not the time to take apart what just happened. It's not the best time to reflect. Uh, but, but people do need and want honesty. Occasionally you have people that don't want that. Um, I've not been a good person to work with those people. Really don't ever want to reflect, but creating people when you model that and you you model self-reflection, see, then you give freedom for other people to do that. When you are vulnerable enough to show some of your own um, your reflection on your own mistake, for instance, will give other people the chance to then say, "Well, you know, I guess I could talk about what I might need to improve on too, and that could be helpful in the future." Um, last night in the worship service, uh, we should have rehearsed the introduction to Jesus as Lord one more time. We did it two or three times, but we should have done it one more time. Uh, so that we had the tempo really locked and that everybody, we had played around with it a bit and then locked it in and rehearsed it again. But it didn't catch, you know, one downbeat was not enough. You know, was, it didn't catch. And so it took us a while. Um, so, you know, I made a note. Check it one more time next time, Randall. You see, that kind of thing. So that I, I'll learn from that moment. And um, and also realize that you can have rehearsed it 15 times and it's still not catch. Because you've got several people to move and it's in the moment. You know, everything that we do is in the moment. But it also doesn't last forever. You know, it doesn't last forever. And you, the good thing about church is you get to do it again next week. So the bad thing is that you do it next week. The good thing is that you get another chance. So we're always getting more chances. Um, build community through shared experiences. When you walk with people through difficult times, then it, it matters. The woman in our church that um, plays keyboard, um, when her father was dying about two years ago, she had called me and told me he, my dad's just on this last, um, he's may go tonight. It was on a Saturday night. And um, we were having some soup for supper that, that our son and I had made. And we put some soup in the something or other, and we went to the nursing home where father was and took him some soup and some bowls and stuff and went in and stayed a few moments. And um, I recently resigned from the church. Um, and when I was leaving, she said, I'll never forget the night that you came when my dad was dying and, and you were there and that meant so much and you just stayed a moment, but that soup you brought, you know, it was great. And, you know, just those kinds of things. They build, they build uh, relationships that are, that are nearly unbreakable. So those kinds of things. When conflict strikes, Encourage individuals in conflict to work through their differences together without you. You do not need to be involved in every conflict. You should be involved in conflict when it's they've tried and it didn't work. So don't jump into everything. If you jump into everything, then you, you will never have problem, develop problem-solving skills. Being a leader of a team is not unlike parenting. My philosophy of parenting is if the arguments are going on in the back of the house, then I don't go back there and get involved. If our 
children are fussing and even yelling, and it's in, not in my space, and I don't get involved. If they come out crying and there's blood, then I'll work with them. <laughs> but I just don't get involved in everything, and I try not to get involved in every single thing that's going on. They have to learn to deal with issues themselves. And as long as I solve every problem, they don't learn how to interact as well. So I try to think of that. Deal with conflict quickly before it festers. However, some types of conflict are natural and don't have to be confronted. I also have seen in church that sometimes this person is always irritated with this person because they always say whatever or they do whatever, and that they just have an ongoing irritating kind of relationship and it's just fine, and they both know that's the way they are, and they're okay that way, and I don't need to be a part of that. And I usually use humor to joke about their little stuff, and then help them to lightly see that, you know, um, they really do love each other, they just have a strange way of expressing it. So sometimes little things like that are just fine, you know, if you can work with people that have any level of humor. If someone's continuous source of conflict, carefully discern whether the person should be on the team. Sometimes people are continually conflict-oriented, and you need to help them not be on the team. Effective coaching. Um, you can't coach everyone, but you must coach the people that are part of your inner circle. So think about who are the four or five people that need my encouragement, three or four, it's even better, who I really need to spend time with, you spend time with them, and then they will model the time you spend and go spend time, and they spend time with other people, and you move outward. If you try to be everybody's best friend, you will be a dishonest person. I have a good friend who, a few years ago, I, she was every, she had a way of feeling, making everybody feel like she was their best friend. So what happened is she couldn't be everybody's best friend, so in essence, there was, there was not truth in that. So we can't do that for everybody. You must spend time with the people closest to you. Uh, the people that are closest on the team, I try to set up a, a, a weekly meeting with the people that really, really, really matter. Everything that they do matters about. And then monthly meetings or whatever. But spend time. Spend time every week. Spend time with them even when you don't have an agenda. Because if you only meet them when you have an agenda, then you won't meet them. When you don't have an agenda, still meet with them, and in those times, just talk about what it is to be a real person. Talk about your dreams and your goals. Just spend some time with them. Those times are worth it. Again, I used to think in my, you know, mark it off mind, I used to think, oh, that's totally a waste of time. Well, those are the resources that you draw on when you are in crisis and you need some backup. Um, meet regularly, uh, spend undesignated meetings, we said that. I encourage everyone around you to be a leader, model a system of people coaching each other. So talk about leadership with everybody. We're all leaders, we're all developing leaders, and part of what we're doing here is to um, continue to make that happen. Okay, um, questions or comments? I saw this article in the uh, Bayer Magazine just um, recently, and this was interesting. This is about the women's basketball team at Baylor, um, uh, about how well they did, and they didn't 
go as high as they wanted to. I can't remember exactly. They went to Sweet 16 right, and that was about it. By the first round, I think. Anyway, but this was Kim Mulkey, who is, I think, a great leader. And I like to think of, I like to study teams and leadership. I love uh, movies, athletic movies about teams. And, you know, I love, um, my favorite movie of all time is Hoosiers. You know, I love to watch Hoosiers, and I get so motivated, you know, about things like that. And I love team kinds of movies. But, but Kit Mulkey says, um, Baylor did not earn the uh, NCAA bid. Their opening uh, round game was scheduled uh, for March 22nd in Lubbock. Before the game, however, illness struck. This time it wasn't a player who was sick, it was Mulkey herself. Mulkey was hospitalized the day of the game, and after, after reacting to a medication, she was taking follow removal of a kidney stone. She did, um, with Medlock's loss and Wilson's injury, Mulkey addressed the situation head on. I don't supercoat things for kids. Some kids need to be patted and loved and sugarcoated. There's a time and a place for that, she said. I believe in always being honest. Sometimes I'm too brutally honest, but when the issue of her illness arose, I addressed the team and told them what was taking place. And the only thing that was hard for me when I addressed them was that I couldn't give them a definite answer of what was wrong with me. I live in a black and white world. You win, you lose. In medicine, there are no definite answers. And she goes on. And then she talks about being in the hospital and watching the game from the hospital bed. And there's nobody else in the room but her. And what it was like for her to watch the assistant coach coach. And she said, I watched it from the hospital bed by myself in the dark. And I could just see the stress on all the faces of all of them. I hated that, but it was, again, not something planned, she said. At that moment in my life, honestly, I was not as stressed as you'd think I'd be watching it. There were other things going on in my head other than basketball, so I was probably where I needed to be. I was thinking of my life, my health, my own two children. And watching that game wasn't near as stressful as people think it was because I was more worried about my own life at that time. But she goes on to talk about how she had trained the assistant coach, but more importantly, she trained the players, so when it came time to play, she trusted them, and even from the hospital bed, and she felt they can do what they're supposed to do, they know what the plays are, they know how to do this, I fully trust them to move on. And I thought, what a, what a model of the kind of teams that we want to build in our churches, where we can be gone, we can be in the hospital, and we're not stressed, we know that it can To learn more about the Alleluia Conference, visit us online at baylor.edu slash alleluia.